Welcome to The Internet Says It's True, where every week we learn something that sounds like I made it up, but it's really true, part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael Kent. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. This is episode 141, and we've got a fun episode again this week, a story of uh, some of the really weird ways Americans used to entertain themselves. It's a story that actually starts in Ohio and ends up in Texas. And later in the show, we'll be talking to Cody Clark. Make sure you stick around for that. If you want to support this show, and I appreciate you, those who do, you can do that by becoming a tizzitor at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. Thank you so much to new tizzitors Joshua Andres, Andrew, and Denny Corby, who is a new producer of the show. When you join, I mail out stickers and fun stuff to you, and you get access to a lot of things that just simply aren't available. One of the cooler things you get is you can watch the full unedited recording of the podcast with my guest every week, which is a lot of fun. You can join at any level from a dollar a month on up, and that's at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. So, today's story took place in the late 19th century. It's a train story. In the early evening of September 15th, 1896, a horrified crowd of onlookers ran away, screaming and covering their heads. It was a scene of pandemonium, and it was all orchestrated by William Crush. He had stolen the idea for his stunt from something that happened that May in Ohio. Only about 45 minutes from where I'm recording this podcast, there was a brand new roadside park outside of Lancaster, Ohio. Buckeye Park was owned by the Columbus and Hocking Valley Railroad, and the whole idea was that people from nearby cities would take day excursions on the railroad to this park. It had picnic pavilions and a small lake where people could go swimming. They claimed to be the only resort in central Ohio where people could bathe in pure spring water and enjoy a toboggan slide. A man named A.L. Streeter had come up with a strange idea, staging a train crash for publicity. The newspaper reported, quote, Realizing that a very small percentage of the people at large have ever witnessed a railway collision and believing that such an exhibition would prove most interesting and attractive to the masses, the management of the CHVNT company have completed arrangements with Mr. A.L. Streeter for such a demonstration as the opening attraction of their famous pleasure resort, Buckeye Park." End quote. It wasn't exactly a new idea. Mr. Streeter had come up with the idea a year before and proposed it in Illinois and then Cleveland, but both of those events fell through. Buckeye Park was finally going to be the place to stage his spectacle, so he had a special one-mile section of track built next to the park in a way that everyone at the park would have a great view of the crash. Admission would be free, but the railroad would make money on the passes to get people to and from the park back to the nearby cities of Lancaster and Columbus. At 4.30 p.m., two retired steam locomotives were crashed into each other at a speed of around 50 miles per hour. The men operating the trains jumped to safety as the trains got close, and the crowd gasped and yelled. It was a huge success. The crowd was somewhere in the area of 20,000 people, and the railroad made a lot of money, both on that day and from the notoriety about the park. Meanwhile, a railroad agent in Texas was taking note. His name was William George Crush, and he worked for the MKT line, the Missouri-Kansas-Texas Railroad. It was commonly referred to as the Katy. Crush was a general passenger agent for the railroad, and he had this brilliant idea to pitch to the board. And by brilliant, I mean it was just A.L. Streeter's idea that he did earlier that year. But Crush was going to make it bigger and better than ever. 
The MKT line was trying to promote its Dallas to Houston passenger route. Some say the purpose was to promote train safety. What we do know is that there had been several horrible wrecks on the railroad in recent years, and as the modern marvel of train travel was becoming more commonplace, people were taking trains slightly less. They needed a marketing initiative to reinvigorate the public and make them aware of this MKT line. Crush pitched the idea of the staged crash to the board at Katy, and they loved it. They set the date for September 15, 1896, and began promoting the event. The crash would be between two engines that were scheduled to be retired. The 35-ton steam locomotives were being replaced with newer 60-ton engines and would be scrapped or sold, so two decommissioned Baldwin 35-ton steam engines were chosen, numbers 999 and 1001. One was painted green and the other red, and they went on a press tour across the country leaving leaflets advertising the event. Crush chose the perfect spot for the crash. In a prairie just about 15 miles north of Waco near the town of West Texas, there was a natural amphitheater where onlookers would gather on a hill surrounding a bowl of land. It would be the perfect place for the spectacle to take place as the crowd could be 200 yards from the crash but still see it perfectly. So the MKT built a spur off the main line that was about four miles long. They didn't want this crash to affect their day-to-day -day operations, so like in Ohio, the crash would happen on a makeshift rail line created just for this event. Before long, an entire makeshift town had been created there in the middle of nowhere, only connected to society by train. They built a train depot and a 2100-foot platform a large grandstand 200 yards away from the tracks and a press box for photographers just 100 yards away. They dug two wells for fresh water. There were even bandstands and stages for politicians to speak. They rented a tent from the Barnum and Bailey Circus and arranged for an entire midway with food, games, carnival attractions, and vendors. The makeshift town was named after the man who put it all together, Crush, Texas. And for that one day, Crush, Texas, at the second largest population in the whole state. Because of the lengthy promotion and the trains going across the country to promote this event, people came from as far away as New York City to see what was being advertised as the Crash at Crush. For just $3.50, the MKT line would sell you a round-trip ticket from anywhere in Texas to the city of Crush. On Crash Day, September 15, there were somewhere between 40 and 50,000 people in attendance. 33 trains had arrived 12 minutes apart to bring the people to this event. Others arrived by horse and buggy. It looked like a huge success, but the main event hadn't happened yet. We'll talk about what happened next after a quick break. If you love listening to this podcast every week and you want to show your support, that would mean a great deal to me. You can do that by becoming a Patreon member. We've got members at all levels, whether you want to pledge $1 a month or $10 a month. Just think about the value that you receive from this show. And if you like the histories and the stories that you learn about or the jokes that you hear, and if you think that they're worth it, consider signing up. For that, you get every episode ad-free and a week early, access to bonuses like the unedited videos of the guest appearances, and 20% off all merchandise. You can sign up today at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. That's patreon.com slash Michael Kent.
Hi, this is Sue Foley, inviting you to listen to Music Journeys. Hear local and national artists share how the love of music began and what inspired their latest project. Mike Foley blends it all together with some music. Now, you can't believe him if he says he's related to me and inherited my musical talent, but you can be sure that other Foley will deliver a worthwhile listening experience, too. Listen to Music Journeys Saturday mornings at 11.30 on WCBE. The Internet Says It's True is happy to be sponsored by The Power of the Streak. This is an easy-to-read book by author Kara Wood with the best idea yet for consistent exercise and staying motivated over time. That part I read, this part I'm telling you from the heart, I struggle with working out regularly. You know, I'll go back, I'll start exercising, and then I'll stop after a couple of weeks, or I'll go a week and a half, and then I'll stop. And I learned that I'm not the only one who this happens to. So Kara has a similar story. Kara was, you know, basically without motivation for years. And she was able to find that formula that got her to flip the switch. And she hasn't looked back. She actually has been able to stick with it through uh, the methods that she teaches in her book. So she tells her story of starting and keeping a running streak for 12 busy years while having a demanding career, two kids, I mean, she has the, the secret to, to exercise no matter what. Her story is funny, it's relatable and inspiring, and she explains to you how you can do the same thing with any exercise. And it doesn't have to be running, which is hard on your knees and hurts your feet. And this isn't just the internet saying it's true. Even a cynic will leave feeling motivated, inspired, and excited to commit once and for all to long-lasting exercise and fitness. The book is called The Power of the Streak by Kara Wood, and... It's available in all formats where books are sold. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can also get the audiobook on iTunes and Audible. So make sure you know you, you learn all about this. Go pick up the book. You can also follow The Power of the Streak on Instagram. It's just at The Power of the Streak and Twitter, Power of Streak. I think that you will enjoy it. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing bombs, but unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to the internet says it's true.com slash deals for the link. The crowd at the makeshift one-day town of Crush, Texas was at least 40,000 people. So big that the 4 p.m. crash time had to be delayed by an hour because the huge crowd was pushing too close to the railroad track for safety. The local police could barely control this mass of people. At 5 p.m., the trains presented a photo op for photographers. The green and red engines, pulling three rail cars each, slowly inched toward each other and met in the middle before the crowd. The engineers got out and shook hands. Then they were slowly backed up two miles in each direction, four miles between them. William Crush rode back and forth in front of the crowd on a white horse. He had taken every precaution for safety. And those safety precautions included 
chaining the cars together because the couplers themselves wouldn't hold the cars together during the crash. The cars themselves were filled with railroad ties, presumably to weigh them down and keep them from going flying. The engines themselves were thought to be safe as well, even though they were essentially fast-moving pressure cookers. They were designed to keep the boilers from rupturing, and this was something that the MKT board brought up. They said that a ruptured boiler could act like a bomb. The KD engineers, however, assured that there was no way the boilers would blow. The track had been prepared with miniature rockets at intervals that would ignite as the trains ran over them, and this was just to help make sure that the trains were traveling at the right speed to meet in the middle. They were just used as signals. So when Crush, on his white horse, dropped his arm with his white hat, that was the signal to both engineers to open the steam to this prearranged setting. They started chugging along, slowly at first, but quickly gaining speed. The track was laid into a bowl, so both trains were running downhill from their starting positions. As they reached around 45 miles an hour, the engineers leapt from their cabins, leaving the empty trains hurling down the track toward each other. Jarvis Dean, a photographer from Waco, was at the photographer's stand just 100 yards from the point of impact. He captured photos of the trains at the moment of impact. The crowd screamed as the two 35-ton engines sped from each direction and met in front of the crowd in a huge crash at about 58 miles per hour. Shrapnel, huge pieces of steel, an entire half of one of the train's driving wheels, bolts, and broken wood were instantly being thrown toward the crowd. Something had gone horribly wrong. It turns out that the boilers on both of the trains had instantly exploded on impact. It was thought that the trains would just rise up in the center in an inverted V when they hit, but instead, they flattened into each other, causing the boilers to rupture and turned all of the surrounding wood and metal into red-hot missiles flying toward the crowd of people. Jarvis Dean, the photographer, got hit directly in the face with a bolt. It entered his eye and lodged in his brain. The driving wheel that was thrown into the air traveled something like 2,500 feet landing in the crowd. People ran in every direction. A 10-pound section of brake chain went flying like a red-hot clothesline across the crowd, hitting Ernest Darnell in the head. He was just a teenager and died instantly. Another rocketing piece of steel fractured the skull of John Overstreet's daughter. She survived for around an hour and died on the way home. The official death toll was just three, but there were dozens more injuries. Pieces of wood and steel ripped into legs and backs. Many others were injured from burns when they scrambled toward the wreckage to grab hot metal souvenirs. As I mentioned before, Photographer Jarvis Dean suffered a blow from a flying bolt. It hit him in the eye and it stuck into his brain. Somehow, he lived and instructed his brothers to continue taking photos for him at the event. He kept living and kept his photography business open until his retirement five years later. The brass at the Katy Line were angry. Crush had promised a safe event and instead the headlines in the paper were all about the tragedy. They fired William Crush at the first opportunity. They paid huge settlements to the families of the victims and gave the injured people lifetime passes on the MKT Railroad. The government in Texas used the event to ban staged train wrecks, which, by the way, continued in many other states. But when they looked at the numbers, Crush's event was a huge success. It got the train line in every newspaper, 
And since the event was an advertised crash, the general public didn't necessarily blame the train line for the injuries and deaths. Train ticket sales in Texas saw a spike. After looking at the event and its success, the Katy Line rehired William Crush, who continued working for the company until his retirement in 1940. One strange thing came out of the crash that immortalized it, and I'll leave you with this. The famous ragtime composer Scott Joplin was in the area performing during the crash, and there's some speculation that he was actually at the event. Others just say he heard about it in the local papers. But he was so moved by the event, he wrote a new ragtime piece called The Great Crush Collision March. It's a standard ragtime song, but then, pardon the pun, goes off the rails at the end of each verse as it mimics the sounds heard at the event. And if you listen closely, you'll hear the sounds of the whistles, of the trains hurling toward each other, and of the great crash at Crush. It's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend, and today I'm calling my friend Cody Clark. Cody is a magician like me. Uh, He also works with groups by talking about what it's like to live with autism and how to gain life skills and become a successful adult with disabilities. He also does talks on creating sensory-friendly environments. Cody, it's so great to see you. Always great to hang out with you, Michael, and I appreciate your support from the beginning. Absolutely. Now, um, I read a little bit of your bio. Did I get that right? Is that pretty accurate as to what you do? Yeah, over. Yeah, you you hit all the good parts of it, the juicy parts. The juicy parts. Very awesome. Uh, now, like, I, I, the concept that people with autism like trains is maybe a stereotype, right? But for you, it's something that's really true. When I went to, I went to the Steamtown. Uh, National Park last year and you were like the first person I showed the pictures to because I know that you're into trains as much as probably more than more than I am and I'm a big fan of of trains have been my whole life but you are like you really love trains oh yes and uh, uh, for me while it is a stereotype it's one that's been true since birth Tasta Tank Engine was actually the train that got me to start walking and talking and then that led to Lionel trains and uh I owe a lot to trains, more so than just knowing the facts. It's more that they brought me out of my shell that uh, I'd say that's where the love lies. That's pretty cool. Now, Thomas, the tank engine for you, was that George Carlin or Ringo Starr or neither? Actually, both. I'd say while I was actually on the earth, George Carlin, but thanks to VHS, I had some VHSs with Ringo, some with George. So I kind of got to compare them both. Nice. It's nice to talk to um, people that are younger than me that watched VHS because it makes me feel not so old. <laughs> yeah, going to these college shows and hearing all the kid, the students be like, what? Yeah. Or even just say, I remember when we had DVD players. That it's, makes me feel old. Yeah. And for a lot of them, they've never even used DVD players. I mean, you know, well, I've I've got a VHS cassette player literally on the table next to me and some old VHS cassettes because I've been trying to digitize some old like family home movies and stuff lately. So, 
yeah the 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 thing of it is you have to do it in real time you know you can't you can't do it like you can a file transfer you have to sit and watch the stuff so um now what was the you've been to that steamtown national park that i went to haven't you in scranton Yep, when I used to tour the Fringe Festival circuit, that was my entry into showbiz as it is for a lot of our peers. Scranton has a really good fringe. It's a really good quality still. And uh, Scranton's one of my, I'd say it's the most underrated town I've been to because it has Steamtown, it has the Houdini Museum, the Coal Mine Museum. It really punches above its weight, but especially Steamtown, which if you don't know, is like the National Park System's official railway museum. Yeah, it's really neat. Uh, you can you can see historic locomotives, um, but also the walls are just filled with stories, which is a lot of a lot of really neat stuff. Yeah, stories I, I, not just of the trains, but of the workers, of the Pullman porters, all the different minority groups who were employed by the railroad, and how that's kind of a bitter bittersweet relationship, but at the same time one of the first mass employers of minority communities was the railroad. So it's nice to see that positive history. Yeah, really, really true. Um, Now, have you watched, um, oh, what's the, there's a drama show about trains. Um, Now I want to, now I got to look it up. Um, Common was in it. Hell on Wheels was the name of the Ah. TV series. Did you watch that? I've not watched that, but I have heard nothing but good things. It was really good. And it does deal with uh, exactly what you're talking about. You know, uh, the the trains coming, the the track being laid from the West was a lot of uh, Chinese immigrants. And then um, from the East, it was being laid with a lot of freedmen and um, and Irish immigrants and different nationalities that were coming from the East Coast. So. It was a really interesting conglomeration of of minority workers uh, back in the day. So, yeah, I uh, I I used to have model trains, and I really wish I did again. I just don't have room or time for them. Um, I was really really. It's not big the into cheapest that. hobby either, but I do have <laughs> a four by eight O gauge layout, and that's one of the biggest reasons I want to be in my own like home so I can give those trains some breathing room. Seriously. And four by eight O gauge doesn't give you O gauge for those of you who aren't familiar. It, it's a larger gauge track. It doesn't give you a lot to work with. Um, you know, four by eight, when you talk about the smaller gauges, you can put a lot on there. But O gauge, you don't have much to much to build. Yeah, it's just a loop or two. But I'd say the big difference of O gauge versus HO, which would be your gauge mm-hmm. if you were more seriously. And is that correct, Mike? H-O. From Michael, from what I remember. Yeah, HO was what I did. Yeah. Uh, o gauge. Ages more, they embrace the toy side of it more. Like, not everything's 100% realistic. There's all these operating accessories that were kind of, they're, they're a lot like the automatons we study in magic based sure. on their into, interior workings. A lot of them are actually mechanical, not electric, that as the wheels go down the track. But, like, I have one that's the Roadrunner and the Coyote chasing each other. That's just purely a mechanical work. Okay. And then uh, it's just these tiny solenoids. Things that even by today's standards are amazing that they're even technically possible. Yeah, absolutely. Reminds me of some of the old, uh, my, my dad had some Lionel um, train stuff when I was a kid, and that's a very similar gauge, similar size. And, and they also do, used to do a lot of that old electromechanical works and things. So, well, let's get into our story, Cody. Um, for this question, we're going to play for a joke. So if you get it wrong, you got to tell me a joke. And if you get it right, I have to tell you one. So here is your question. Back in 1896, 
A train crash happened outside of Waco, Texas, where two steam engines from the MKT line ran head-on into each other at full speed. Both boilers exploded and people in a nearby crowd were injured, even causing the death of several of the onlookers. Which one of these was the famous reason for these trains crashing? Was it A, it was the dispatcher's first day on the job, B, a disgruntled employee stole a locomotive, or C, the crash was staged as a publicity stunt for the railroad? I don't know why a railroad would want to stage a crash, so I don't think it was C. I've heard lots of stories about B, so I'm going to say B. Believe it or not, the answer is C. The crash was staged by the publicity stunt, and the, exactly what you said, you don't know why they would want to do this, is why this was fascinating to me. Because what I found out was not only did they do this, they used to do it a lot toward the end of the, eight, of the 19th century. So there was one not too far from here in Ohio that was the first one. It was a year earlier in 1895 where this was, they were trying to promote this new park, this roadside park there, and, and they were selling tickets to get to the place. They, they laid special track for these, ran the two trains at full speed into each other, and people loved it. Kind of like a demolition derby for trains, right? So this, this uh, Katy line, the, the MKT line down in Texas did it. And it was it went horribly because they weren't expecting these boilers to explode, which just threw stuff everywhere. And uh, believe it or not, it wasn't the last. <laughs> it wasn't the last time they staged train crashes for uh, for publicity and for fun. So who knew? Oh, they were expecting it to be a tiny crash, but because of the boiler, it actually became a legitimate accident. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe even I don't know if they just didn't think the boilers would explode or if. Uh, you know, they thought people I, now I know in this situation where this was in this really specific prairie area of outside of Waco, the people were up on a hill um, and they thought that even if these things, this, you know, this crash did throw shrapnel around that the people would be safe, but they weren't. Um, so, yeah, really ended up in tragedy. And uh, it's called it's known as the crash at Crush because the guy's last name was Crush and they named the little area Crush, Texas after him. So the crash at Crush, if you want to look this up after our after our uh, game here. So do you have a do you have a joke for us? I do. And keeping with the train theme, okay. I want to take a joke from my autism advocacy magic show, Different Way of Thinking. OK, essentially, as we mentioned, the second voice of Thomas was George Carlin, because early on. Thomas, it was stunt casting with 60s hippie figures like George <laughs> Carlin. A lot of there's more controversy around him than Ringo. But one of my favorite jokes to tell on my show is first time kid me heard George Carlin. I ran to my mom and was like, guess what? Seven words Thomas taught me today. <laughs> That's not OK. <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, Words that make your HBO subscription disappear. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's I imagine. Now, did you at that age, did you really look into George Carlin and, and the other stuff that was available from him? Not till middle school, because okay. when I was little, I when I was more severely autistic and there also wasn't quite an active Internet back then. So it wasn't until middle school when I started to get back into Thomas. Because like a lot of people who are still Thomas fans in middle school, people make fun of us for it. Then closer to high school, we're like, you know what? Screw them. Yeah. I'll keep collecting these toys. That's why I learned. That was my intro to George Carlin. 
And I, I was like, oh, he voiced Thomas. Oh, he's actually funny. Oh, he says some occasional smart things. And not that I'm the big, biggest fan, but I am a fan of his work. All right. Even though I don't owe you a joke, I did find a train joke and I wanted to share it with you. It's really, it's like a popsicle stick joke, a dumb street joke. Why can't a steam locomotive sit down? Why can't a steam motive sit, steam locomotive sit down? Uh, because it's full of hot air. You're close. It has a tender behind. Ah, that is so bad. It is. Yeah. You can use that in your act if you want. Uh, Feel free for, you know, conductor Cody. My kids character, I think will love that one. Conductor Cody, that's a good one. You know, the word behind is just enough that kids will love it. Uh, Okay. Question two. For this next question, we're going to play for a posting about this podcast on your social media. So um, if you get it wrong, you've got to tag this podcast and, you know, say something about it. If you get it right, I'll tag you and plug whatever you're doing, um, whatever you want. So uh, in the same year of our story, 1896, ROTC cadets from Auburn University used the train system to win a football game against Georgia Tech. Which one of these describes how they did it? Okay, so that was a mouthful. So I'm going to say it one more time. ROTC cadets from Auburn used the train system to win a football game against Georgia Tech. How did they do this? Was it A, they greased the track so that Georgia Tech's football team's train couldn't stop and the team had to walk five miles back to the game? B, they paid the local train conductor to park a locomotive next to the stadium, signaled him to blow the train's whistle when Georgia Tech was on offense? Or C, the team harnessed themselves to rolling stock on the railroad track and pulled cars every day to build strength. All three of these actually sound plausible. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and and uh, they're probably not the only team to have done something like this. But I would say A would sound the most effective. The answer is A, they greased the track. You're correct. Uh, yeah, so Georgia Tech's football team's train actually couldn't stop when it tried and it ended up more than halfway to the next train stop one town over and the whole team to make the game had to walk or run or whatever back to uh, the stadium there in Auburn and uh, they were tired and they blamed the the loss they would they lost uh, 45 to nothing and they blamed the loss on the fact that they had to walk so Pretty interesting stuff. Uh, You got that right. And so I will gladly post about you and what you do on my social media. Um, Happy to do that. Question three. Our traditional uh, prize for question three is a a, uh, the Internet says it's true sticker. Uh, It's orange, it's square, and it's sticky. The MKT Railroad used the color scheme of bright red and white. The red was known as Katie Red and was later changed to bright green and yellow. MKT was part of the Union Pacific Railroad, which has which iconic color scheme? A, blue and white with black lettering, B, yellow and gray with red lettering, or C, black and gold with maroon lettering? By far, easiest question so far, B. B is correct. Yellow and gray with red lettering. Uh, now, do you do you model with your O gauge? Do you model a specific railroad, or do you sort of just whatever you like at the time? In O gauge, it's mostly whatever models you like. It's not necessarily specific railroads, but I do have way more steam than diesel, and I like to hunt for the models that are harder to find. 
Like I'd say the my favorite hunt, Lionel really don't make British models other than the Polar Express, but they have twice. And I finally found on a, the backwoods of an internet forum, it's called the Albert Hall. And that is my hardest, most rewarding find. I will look that up. I'm not familiar with that. When I modeled uh, HO uh, trains when I was, I did this all the way through high school. Uh, and um, when I moved to college, my parents just sort of packed it all up into boxes. And I still have a lot of those boxes, but I, I mostly modeled Union Pacific. I, I was drawn to that yellow and gray color scheme. And it's always, yeah, and, and I, I really, re I remember the first few times I did shows out West and I, the first times I saw Union Pacific trains in person and I was a real nerd about it. I was like really freaking out. I was like, oh my gosh, it's a real Union. And now we see them here for whatever reason. I don't know why, but now we see them coming through Ohio all the time. Because they keep buying railroads and I think, I think they've bought enough to, it's mostly CSX out in our area, some yeah. Norfolk Southern, but I think they bought can't don't know which railroad but a railroad that allows them some eastern access yeah i think so now the official colors haven't changed much since 1934 they call them armor yellow and harbor mist gray those are the official colors of that yellow and gray railroad and you, see, they, you see the best example of them i think once a year when they take their three steam engines around they they're actually inspiring the other two railroads i mentioned to do their own steam programs as publicity and they got the big boy, which is the largest steam engine in the world. They got the 844, which is the, technically the only engine that's never steam engine that's never been retired. Then they got some. They got another one. They're all they're all, they're all known for being big, and they'll go as east as St. Louis and as west as LA and do a picture tour. That's pretty pretty great. That's now, usually when you see the yellow and gold pasture cars that are very beautiful. The uh the big boy that I saw was the one it, they had that in the parking lot of the Steamtown National Park. Um, yeah, the there's Union a Pacific. few railway museums that have the static ones. St. Yeah. Louis's does, Steamtown's does. Then UP has one that they recently, within the past five years, got into operating condition again. Wow. Man, you're... And there's one in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I knew you were into trains, but like, you're really, like, you know way more... You're, you, this is like a serious hobby for you. I will say it's kind of like magicians and the jamming magic inventions. You think I know a lot. I may know more than the public, but there are trained nerds who uh, make me feel self-conscious when I'm <laughs> around them. Kind of like there's magicians with decks of cards that can oh, do the moves way totally, better than I can. Totally. Now, have you seen, there's a guy on TikTok that like completely loses his mind when a train goes by because it's like a train that he's been waiting for. I think he's, he might be in like in the UK. Oh, yeah, he is British. Yeah. Because sometimes he'll lose his mind over trains that have accidentally perverted names, which especially in Wales is surprisingly common because of <laughs> Welsh. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really fun stuff. And of course, that shows up on my timeline because TikTok just knows. Uh, let's let's move yeah. on. You're two for three so far. For this question, we're going to play for 70,000 Internet points and you can redeem those however you wish. 70,000 Internet points. Uh, if I were talking about trains and referred to a clown wagon, what am I talking about? A, a caboose, B, a circus train car where all the clowns slept, or C, an inmate train car on a federal prison train? I think it's A or C. I would think there'd be a more derogatory name for C, so I'm going to go with A. The answer 
is A, the caboose. You're right. And funny enough, the reason they chose Clown Wagon was they were trying to be derogatory. So I found this. The caboose has had a list of slang names to describe uh, the caboose or its occupants in derisive ways. Uh, So sometimes they were called, it was called a crummy, uh, as in like a crummy place to live, not elegant, often too hot or too cold, and perhaps not especially clean. Clown Wagon, the hack, a way car, a doghouse, a go-kart, a glory wagon, or monkey wagon. These were all derogatory names for a caboose. So, and that I think has a lot to do with engineers versus conductors and, you know, uh, who on the train is, feels like they have more power and less power. Yeah, there is kind of a hierarchy within working on the railroad plus the mass amount of jobs. I think that's why there's lots of TV shows, lots of books, lots of stories set on the railroad. Yeah. Well, you're uh, you're three for four so far, and this one's for all the marbles. If you get it wrong, you'll never be invited back on this podcast. But if you get it right, I'd be happy to have you back anytime, Cody. What is something that people often get wrong about autism? Is this an open-ended question? Open-ended, yeah. Something that people often get wrong about autism is that we are all mathematically inclined And for some people, that stereotype is true, but a lot of us have the same array of talents as anyone else. I'm more of an art, a performing arts brain. Like, I cannot do math to save my life. I can barely do the financial math for my business, but put a script in front of me or put a trick in front of me, and I can create an out-of-the-box presentation easily. I know people who are talented musically who are on the autism spectrum people whose special interest is relationship psychology. I'd say the more common factor is the intense devotion to our interests, not a particular subset of interest. Yeah, well, that's a very great answer. I'm happy to have you back anytime. Now tell people where they can find out about what you do. Well, CodyClarkMagic.com is my main website. I do a lot of work with colleges like Michael Kent. I do campus activities departments with a more general, a different way of thinking. The show I mentioned earlier, that's like Autism 101. And then I also go directly to the campus disability departments with some what I call adult transition planning training, like Mike said in the intro, Mm -hmm. uh, the the transition to adulthood, especially on campus. I have talks that can be aimed hyper-specifically at that skill building. And there's often a surprising amount of crossover with the neurotypical students also needing that info, especially that freshman year. I would be interested in it. I feel like that's a type of education that for for all people is sort of lacking. Um, And uh, well, that's a a really great. Oh, go ahead. People assume that we know this. What people assume that everyone is born knowing it, where in reality, everyone needs a little bit of a refresher. Sure. Or to learn for the first time, too. Well, Cody, it's been awesome. I think what you're doing is great. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I hope you have a great week. Thank you, Michael. I'd be happy to be on any time, fellow train nerd. (laughs) (laughs) That is all for this week. Thanks so much to Cody Clark for being my guest. Here's a little kid who stowed away on an English freight train. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. To listen to episodes ad-free and a week early, support us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash Michael Kent. If you learned something just now that you didn't already know, go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. 
That helps us a ton, because that's how the algorithm works. I don't know what an algorithm is, but just do it. See you next week for a brand new episode of The Internet Says It's True! The Internet Says It's True would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Sean Brown, Denny Corby, Joshua Endress, Dallas Ray, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Jim and Joanne Martin, Mitch and Andrew Joseph Kemplin, and the show's official Emperor Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Ken. Theme song is by Finite Music Forge. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17 USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. The Internet Says It's True is part of the WCBE podcast experience.